In the fall of 1999, I was on sabbatical leave from the seminary giving some lectures at Spurgeon's College in London. It was a really great deal. They said if I would give these lectures, they would give free housing to me and my family for that fall. So we didn't have to debate, we were off. We took the kids out of school and we went and we had a great time that we still talk about nearly 20 years later seeing the museums, the historic sites, and even spotting the queen. And yes, she does wave like this. She waved at us. I'm not kidding. We knew going over that there would be a language barrier. That while we speak English, they really speak English. And most of it's pretty harmless stuff. You know that what we call chips, they call crisps because what they call chips, we call fries. I know, it gets confusing. And there were things like, you know, the hood of a car, they call a bonnet, and that kind of thing. They even have some words that we share, but they put an accent on the syllable differently, a controversy instead of a controversy. All of that was innocent enough. It was the word pants that got us in trouble. <laughs> some of you are snickering, maybe you know this one. They would call them slacks or trousers because in England, pants are ladies' underwear. And that wouldn't have presented a problem except for the very first weekend we were there, my wife said, do ladies wear pants to church? <laughs> and when they picked themselves up off the floor and finally quit laughing, they said, well, unless they're feeling naughty, yep, yeah, most of them do. Language is tricky, very tricky. Growing up in Texas, we knew nothing of the terms pop and soda and soft drink. Everything is called a Coke. Those other terms could brand you as a Yankee. So you would say, if somebody was over, you'd say, hey, you want a Coke? They would say yes, and you'd say, well, what kind? And they might say root beer. They might say Pepsi. Pepsi was under the heading of, do you want a Coke? Are you writing this down? <laughs> if there were a group of people, though, you had to say, do y'all want a Coke? It's you plural. You can't say you guys or yous or any of those other terms, not in the South. It's y'all. Some people say the plural is all y'all. I think if the Apostle Paul could visit 21st century world, he would be clueless about the pants thing and the Coke thing, but the y'all he would get. He would say, oh, yes, yes, I know about that. Because the New Testament, the Greek, unlike English, where in English you can be singular or plural, in the Greek it's very clear. They have different words for you singular and you plural. And Paul's favorite is y'all. He uses it almost exclusively. There's one letter later in the New Testament when he writes to one person, and so he starts with you singular, but before he even finishes the letter, he's back to y'all. Paul in Romans 12 then says, I urge y'all therefore, and he goes on to talk about worship, and he wants us to think about worship. There's two words here that are key. He says, by the renewing of your minds. You could translate that your intellect. 
And one of them hidden here, spiritual worship. It's not a good translation. Spiritual here is more like logical or rational. Paul wants us to strap on our thinking caps and think about worship. So I don't know what kind of breakfast brain foods you had, but hopefully it will sustain you through this. It's a little bit complicated. When the New Testament wants to talk about what we're doing right now, what we call worship, singing and praying and eating and so forth, their most frequently used term for that is coming together, getting together, assembling together. When the New Testament wants to talk about how you live your life after leaving here, it uses the word worship. But here's where it gets even trickier. Worship is not just when you leave here. It includes while you are here as well. See, I told you it was complicated. Thankfully, a couple hundred years ago, a Danish philosopher, theologian, came to the rescue. His name was Soren Kierkegaard, and the concepts were complex, but Kierkegaard did us a big favor because he loved to tell stories and parables and use images. And the one that he uses for worship came to be known as the prompter. That was the nickname for it. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But here's what he does. He invites us to imagine that we're going to a stage play. And it'll sound a lot like you're going to church initially. You, you come in the door, somebody friendly greets you, gives you a piece of paper, the program. They might help you find a seat, but you come in, you sit down next to others who are ticket holders on the row, facing forward, where on a stage someone will put on a show, and if they do a pretty good job afterwards, you might even applaud. Sounds familiar, right? It's a stage play, it's going to the theater. But Kierkegaard said that won't work when it comes to being church. Yeah, you, you come in and there's someone friendly who gives you a piece of paper, but this isn't a stage. It's not a stage. It's not a show. Because the piece of paper they give you is not a program. It's your script. Because as it turns out, the actors in this divine drama are you. The congregation enacts the drama. Think about it. Think about what even up to this point this day we asked you to do. Stand for this, sit for that, turn to this page. Oh, make sure you do this. When we take communion, pass the tray, stand here, say these words. Let's all say the Lord's Prayer. We work you hard in worship because you're putting on the drama. Some people are surprised to find out that the word liturgy has nothing to do with formal worship. The word liturgy literally means the work of the people. This is the work you do in putting on the worship. The ministers, he said, are the prompters. They, they're just there to help you remember your lines. And then he added, if there's an audience, it's God. We do all of this for God. So the first thing, the first thing you have to remember about worship is, it's not about you. It's about God. And here's the clincher. The second thing is, it's not about you either, it's about y'all, the y'all factor. This goes in the face of our culture and our times, I realize. But when Paul says, present your bodies, he uses the plural, and he means your whole self. So all of us come in, but then he says, as a living sacrifice, and he switches to the singular. That's his theology in a nutshell. 
We all come in as individuals, but we are a collective when we are gathered to worship. I remember years ago, I preached at one of those big churches. Did I say it was big? I mean, it was big. Like Garrison Keillor would call it Six Flags Over Jesus big, right? You had to ride a tram in from the parking lot. Thousands of people, and they were having some baptisms, five or six of them that day. And the person who was doing the baptisms said, before each one, now, if you are friends or family with so-and-so and would name them, please stand. And there would be little pockets of people here and there stand to honor their person. And I thought, that is almost a brilliant idea, but only almost. Because we are all friends and family, brothers and sisters, with every person who enters the waters of baptism, not just a few. See, baptism and entrance into the church is not like high school or college graduation where you're going through your own private thing in the presence of others going through their own private thing with their families. And then we'll all disperse. No. No, no, no. In the church, we are all connected. That's why when we say pass the friendship register and then pass it back and look at the names, not to be nosy, but because they're not just ticket holders on the same row, you are related to them, even if you don't know them. In seminary, for years, I taught a theology of worship class, and we had readings to do, you know, like the Kierkegaard parable, lots of other books and essays and things. But in the last few years, I assigned them a chapter by James K.A. Smith. And it's not the easiest reading, but his basic premise is this. We are lovers who then think about what we love. Not thinkers who then love what we've thought about. We, our first instinct is to love, and we were made to love and worship God, but if we don't find God, we'll fill it with something else. And then we'll think about that. One of the loves that he points out that can often be a substitute is shopping. I know, who, who would think it, right? But shopping. Shopping makes everything out there about you and your needs. What do you want? What can we give you? For a few moments when shopping, you are the lord of your universe. You can pick this, you can pick that. I'll take this, I don't want that. Which is no big deal when it's sweaters and blouses and slacks and whatever. But when it's our spiritual lives, hmm, it could be dangerous. I told my students more than 20 years ago, I said, the day will come when people will come to church and say, we are shopping for a church. Nobody used that term at the time, and all my students said, oh, no, that's never going to catch on, church shopping. It did. I'm not bothered by it, but here's how I would rethink it. Yes, when you visit a church, you've got to figure out, is their theology and spirituality fit with mine? But the next question then is, how can I plug in there, serve God, 
and others made in God's image? That's the next question. So I went shopping this week. Uh, I, I would say I needed a pair of tennis shoes. I didn't need a pair of tennis shoes. I wanted a pair of tennis shoes. So I went, went to three stores. I went straight to the clearance section, and I'm proud to report I found a brand new pair of Nikes for 35 bucks. Even my coupon-loving wife was impressed. She couldn't believe it. And it was innocent enough, but I thought about shopping. You know that we have a mall here, don't you? And I'm not talking about the well, our bookstore, where the proceeds go to missions. I think our mall is the parlor. But instead of a pretzel place where you have to pay, we have free cookies and drinks. And on the tables, instead of merchandise piled up where you pick and th whatever you want, we have ministries. Hartman Elementary, Micah Ministry, Baking Cookies. Our mall is about finding a place to serve. I just love that image. I think Paul would like it. I mean, I don't know what you think about it. Or should I say, y'all? 